Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, we've got what might just be our penultimate or final, depending on how you want to consider it, episode of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, here on Tuesdays, we break down all the Division I women's action. And folks, we finally arrived. It's the final season, a week, excuse me, of team play in this 2023 college tennis season. It promises to deliver the goods. And we finally know who the final eight teams competing for the 2023 National Championship will be, of course course, before we break down any of this past weekend's Super Regional action, I first have to offer a massive thank you to all of you Cracked Rackets fans, all of you Cracked Rackets listeners, all of you college tennis fans who tuned into our coverage of the Super Regional rounds. It was such a treat for our team to be able to broadcast all of the action. It was certainly worthy of the effort. We got so many fun matches, so much drama, just everything that makes this college tennis world so special. And of course, we appreciate all of the well wishes, all the congratulations. So many of you have been kind enough to send our way. Obviously, our coverage ain't done yet. We got plenty of coverage of the individual events coming up. We'll have the D1 quarterfinals for you, half of the semifinal battles on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. So, Buckle up. May Madness continues. So much coverage available on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. That said, here on The Deciding Point, we recap everything. We preview everything. And again, round of 16. Boy, did it deliver. Now, there were some, I think we had five of these matches as part of our Crack Rackets stream. Of course, there was a sixth available in Stanford to be followed via the live camera. Two matches, unfortunately. No cameras available. That said... I mean, come on, plenty of storylines for us to break down here on today's show. We'll get into all eight of the round of 16 battles. We'll preview all four of the quarterfinals as well. And joining me to do all of that, as he does each and every week here on this show, is a man you all know best as a returning champion of returning champions, the returning champion here on our Crack Racket show, also the founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, but perhaps now all of you know him in his most suitable role, and that's as my co-commentator. As part of our super regional coverage, he's been kind enough to hop on multiple Crack Rackets broadcasts throughout the course of the year. It is a pleasure to welcome onto this show my dearest friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back. Final week of the college tennis season is upon us. As you can tell, three-minute intro, I am in rare form. How are you doing today? 
Well, I'm glad you're in rare form because having gone through the NCAA Sweet 16 press row, you told a lot of coaches that you had not seen their best match of the season yet. Gruskin, I challenge us. I don't know if we have done our best podcast live show of the season yet. So that will be tonight. I'm glad you are in rare form. I will do my best to match you. And we will have an incredible show to kick us off for what is ultimately my favorite week of the calendar. Well, you know, nothing gets me going more than hearing my own words used against me. So well played by you to start today's <laughs> show. And yeah, I like to say I've been joking around with coaches. I use this joke very frequently off mic. I'll now put it on mic. You know the Gladwell 10,000 hours theory? For me, I try to do press row three days, 10,000 hours, just get all my talking in. And by the end, you know, I was like podcast 28. I was joking with coaches. I was like, this one's going to be 22 minutes, 46 seconds, because I know exactly uh, where these answers now are going to go. But again, I'm joking there. Obviously, a massive thank you to every coach and player representative who took the time to speak with us. I'll point out all 16 teams remaining. All of them have representatives who spoke with us at Cracked Rackets. You were kind enough to steer the ship of your first cracked interview as you sat down with Alexandra Yepafanova. Any reflections from Press Row? I guess I haven't asked you yet that you'd like to share to start tonight's show. Well, a few. I think the first was I found many of the coaches a little intellectually dishonest in their answer of if there is a title favorite. There are title favorites, right? And you can come out and say that if you're a women's coach, you can say if there were odds, it would be North Carolina and NC State. So that part I was like, "Mm, like, I don't know if we're deluding ourselves here. (laughs) That part I didn't love. I do think the best question and one that I really enjoyed hearing answers to was uh, which player, coach, or team other coaches were impressed by. And I thought you got a a really big diversity of answers in that question. You heard some Boomer Sia of Iowa State. You heard Georgia men, you know, a a lot of really fascinating ways. I think that told us a lot about the coach and what they admire or what they're looking for outside of their own team. So really fantastic slate. Uh, I do have a few left. I'm saving the ones that I know will be still in Orlando. So highly encourage people to check out those interviews. They're always a really good listen. I needed to push coaches harder to get an answer out of them on that question. And I think moving forward, I will push them harder. I know how I want to approach that on the next series that I'm sure we'll do around National Indoors time next year. Yeah, I have to give a massive shout out to you because I texted you before the start of Press Row. I asked if you would be willing to throw any questions my way. That was a John J. Parsons special. And I agree. Those were my favorite answers throughout the course of the series as well. And whether that your team was eliminated or not, whether your team is still playing or not, I do highly encourage all of you college tennis fans to go check those out. You can find them all linked under a post on our website, crackrackets.com, or find them all over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. What was particularly fun for me was to mix things up. Like, I love Brian Calvis. I love him to death. I talk to Brian Calvis maybe as much as I talk to my own mother. And like, I know what he's going to say. And so to get the chance to speak with a Tyler Thompson or, you know, again, to get a player's perspective on how a season had unfolded, that was a fun aspect for me as well. So a lot of cool conversations. I appreciate your thoughts, your support through the series, Jay, and I encourage everyone to go check them out. The Yepafanova one was fun. Like, can we talk about this quickly? Can I get the fact that she goes, 
the hardest part for me was learning to cheer for my teammates. Like that was a hell of an answer, Jay. Yeah, I found her to be incredibly authentic and yes. honest about some of the challenges in transitioning from junior tennis to college tennis. And yeah, I mean, that makes sense. You come in, you're in the fall events, these individual events, and all of a sudden you got to sit on the sidelines and cheer for these people you've known for a few months. It's a weird thing to do. And that was particularly striking her answer because it came on the heels of her taking her first loss since indoors at uh, against Oklahoma State in the Sweet 16. And guess what she had to do for the entire duration of that match? Cheer on her teammates. So, you know, hearing her talk about that and also just reflecting on, you know, the benefits college and in particular Stanford have has had on her worldview, on her plans for professional tennis. Really, really insightful interview. Yeah, very fun one. I appreciate you allowing us, including it in, allowing us to include it, excuse me, in our series. Yeah, folks, that's an eight-minute synopsis of what we've been up to here at Crack Rackets. Obviously, May Madness, we have been college tennis-centric across divisions. I could do five minutes on whether it's Barry women's tennis, who are just a joke, like how good they are compared to the rest of the division two field. On the D3 men's side, I think Case Tufts tomorrow. Winner's going to take their first Division Three men's title. That match is going to be fascinating. I'm thrilled to be there in person. That's why we're pre-recording this. I don't know if it's going to be a video or just a podcast, but that's why the schedule for the deciding point is different this week because Jay and I are both traveling down to Orlando here on Tuesday. Yeah, it's fun times to be a college tennis fan. And, of course, again, on today's show, We want to be D1-centric. We are going to focus on the Super Regionals on the women's side. We're going to preview all four of the quarterfinals. Jay's going to break it down most to least likely top seeds to be upset. Uh, Of course, before we do any of that, a shout-out to all of you again who tune in week in, week out, make it so fun to be a part of this college tennis community for us here at Crack Rackets. A massive shout-out to our dear friends at Turna, and you all know the deal. Try the newest Turna Tough grip today. It's the latest iteration of the Turna grip. It's even tackier. It still retains its iconic trademark blue color as well. You can find it wherever you shop for your tennis goods. Support Turna today. We're so grateful for their support. We're also immensely grateful for the support we get from our friends at LS. You can find the entire LS catalog by clicking on the link in the description to this show. A massive thank you to Dave Emke and the entire LS team for their continued support, not just of this show, but of so many different things we do here at Crack Rackets. Be sure to check out what they're offering if you want to be the best but dressed and the most comfortable, the most efficient player every time you step out on the court. With all of that said, Jay, let's talk Super Regionals. It was very difficult to figure out where to start today's show. There are so many different storylines we can turn to. We're going to divide things into two categories. The matches we didn't see and the matches we did see. As there were three matches, unfortunately, during this Super Regional round, whether it be to weather or other circumstances, that did not feature cameras. And unfortunately, the perhaps most thrilling match of the round, the only 4-3 decision we had of the Super Regional affair, it was a match that was played off camera. As Pepperdine, Texas were forced to move inside due to storms in Austin In the end, Texas takes the doubles point. They survive 4-3 over Pepperdine. Now, again, this match had 
oh so many different swings. John Jay Parsons, there are a bunch of different places we could start with our analysis for what it's worth. Savannah Brodus did complete a undefeated season. She dropped her first dual match single set of the year, but she earned a comeback three-set win. You then had Nikki Redelick with a three-set win from 3-1 down. It was three all in this match. Malika Rapalu, a connection to the back-to-back national champion Texas teams of the past two years. Her first year of full-time action on the job. She gets the job done. Three-set clinch over Ana Campagna. Obviously, impressive wins from Nicole Kieran. Taya Pachkaleva we can talk about as well. You can address the non-camera portions if you'd like, Jay, here, and why this section stands alone. But again, Texas Pepperdine 4-3. It was fun to follow from afar, wasn't it? It was uh, exhilarating to follow those live scores and refreshing them. Unsure when they will come in. Look, always disappointing that, you know, overall, I think it was four of the Sweet 16 matches across the men and the women we were unable to see on video. You know, I hope that that changes moving forward. I think that should be a requirement to host. But ultimately, in this situation, bad weather, sending them indoors. And, you know, you have to feel for Pepperdine, second straight year in a row they have lost can i just address that camera thing before you get to texas pepperdine i apologize don't mean to cut you off but i think that's a very good point and here's my compromise i think first two rounds you don't need to have cameras because you shouldn't punish a top 16 team for the first two rounds for not having cameras super regional is a little bit different like especially with the quality of play I understand those teams have tried to earn, you know, they've earned themselves that benefit of the doubt, and certainly you feel the benefits of hosting a match more so in the Super Regional than you would in the first two rounds, but I do agree with you. A, it's the NCAA tournament, and parity is never a bad thing. B, there's likely a facility, you, you imagine there's cameras within 100 miles of every one of these schools that compete in the round of 16. You can still have it closer to the home school. But at a certain point, we constantly have conversations about growing the game. And one of the biggest themes of this weekend was the controversy surrounding the Super Regional. Not just the fact that four of the eight, uh, excuse me, four of the 16 matches weren't on camera. You had three separate instances where 24 hours out before the Super Regionals, matches were moved up. And the entire premise of the Super Regional is to put fans, you know, fans butts in seats, is to give these players those sorts of opportunities to have that moment to play in front of a home crowd in a heightened environment like this one more time in order to create that special energy and create that captivating scene that we all know makes college tennis special. And if you're not even going to do that, then you better have goddamn cameras. Like, I just think it's unbelievable. Like, sometimes it's just shooting yourself in the foot. And I get compared, like, we want to play it outside. It's an outdoor event. You have to move the matches up. I understand that sentiment. But to do it 24 hours in advance or less than, that undercuts the entire premise of the Super Regional. And it's just like, it's these little things, Jay. It's the little things that this sport sometimes shoots itself in the foot in. And it's just, it's it's upsetting because I really do think talking to all these coaches to go for a circle, and I swear we're going to get to tennis in a second, folks. But to talk about, you know, to all these coaches, we all acknowledge the college tennis we are seeing It has never been better. There are some teams—we'll talk about Tennessee in a second. 
how are they not at the final site? Any other year, that Tennessee team is good enough to be a quarterfinal team. And the fact that they're not is just like a testament to how f***ing good. Sorry, double F-bomb to start, but how good the tennis is right now. And we either have to put it in front of fans or allow fans to watch it from afar. And this weekend, we had instances where we didn't do either. And like, come on now. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the passion and the enthusiasm coming from you because I completely agree. You know I do. It, You know, look, college tennis continues to be surpassed by almost every other college sport in the country. And it is very hard to watch these decisions and these things taking place. We all want to grow the game. You look at something like a Georgia this weekend, the, both the men and the women, the men in particular, turned out over 3,000 fans. They are yes. the North Star for engaging the community, having fans there, having the enthusiasm there. And it's becoming really difficult to do that, right? Whether you're moving times you know, 24 hours in advance, whether you're unable to broadcast the match it's just so difficult to do, and it's so antithetical to the rest of college sports. You look at softball today, every single regional match for softball is being televised by ESPN Network. They all have broadcasters. They all have commentators. There are so many other sports that have come and leapfrogged tennis, right? So it's really tough to see. Um, but yeah, it's really disappointing to see. It's been something that we've said for a long time. Here's where I'll get off my high horse. And I just felt it was, I have to address this because I'm living it. Like we at Cracked Rackets, here's what I'll say. If you think there's a problem, put your money where your mouth is. We're trying here at Cracked Rackets to bring you all of these regionals. We're trying to push the envelope forward. And we have gotten so much help from so many coaches, programs, institutional support from the ITA, I, we don't. I don't talk interact much with the USTA and the NCAA, but I know their relationship with Dalton is why we're able to bring the Division One, Two, Three events to all of you. We're pushing the envelope forward. I promise, and everyone's trying to help do so. But everyone has to help do so. That's the point I'm emphasizing. We shoot ourselves. It's just the product is there, everyone. To all the college tennis people listening, if you're a coach, player, parent, administrator. God, I hope some administrators are listening. That'd be pretty cool. Um, the product is good enough. We have it. People will love this. And there are just things we can't screw up anymore. And I say we, because I'm in the fight with you, everyone. And if there's any advice we can give camera-wise or facility, you know, whatever it is, I'm, uh, you all have my number. You know where to find me. But it's just like, it's got to get cleaned up. It's that simple. It's just, it was too good of a weekend to miss any of the matches. And that's what sucks, is that we try to do this show for everyone, and we're going to get to this show, I promise, here in a second. But it makes it a lot easier when you can see everything. And this product is just too good. So I, know, I don't understand the politics of athletic departments. I always understand revenue is going to trump non-revenues. I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's one section at the big house, one section at one game, and you have outdoor cameras whenever you want it. Like, you can't be one of three programs to have two top eight schools and not have outdoor cameras. What are we doing here? That's just unacceptable. Rant complete, Jay. You ready to talk about Pepperdine, Texas? You want to continue where you left off? 
<laughs> well, I, I was going to say, you better not open up this can of worms too much because we could go <laughs> very deep in it. Yes, I yeah, will we're not getting in trouble. To, to Texas and Pepperdine, two uh, incredible teams over the past two years. Uh, I was going to say, it's unfortunate for Pepperdine that they do have to play this match indoors. It's the second straight year. They have played an indoor match at NCAAs. Last year, they lost to North Carolina. This year, they lose to Texas. What impressed me the most about this Texas team was, one, Nicole, Nicole Kieran, their freshman at number one, and you mentioned Charlotte Shabbatapan at number two. Lisa Czar for Pepperdine at number one has played a lot of big matches in her career and come up extremely clutch for the Waves. Nicole Kieran, she wins a third set tiebreak over Lisa Czar, which ultimately, if she didn't do that, they don't win that match. To me, that was the biggest takeaway. Uh, I do think moving indoors helped a lot given their game styles, but ultimately, Texas has this belief indoors, I mean, not just indoors, at NCAAs when it comes down to these matches. So I'm not shocked they won this match, particularly given the circumstances, but it was a really good effort from a Texas team who, gosh, I mean, is always peaking here in May. Yeah, it, that's the storyline. That's the headline. That's where we definitely have to start with. I, I can't believe Texas won this match. Like, I, I really can't. And, you know, again, Texas now 24-4 and four overall. Yes, they won the Big 12 tournament conference. But I had a lot of questions about the Big 12. And, by the way, Big 12 got two schools into the Elite Eight. Like, in Georgia, uh, excuse me, in Oklahoma was very close to making it a third. Big 12 was very good. They all toughened each other up, as you can tell. Nicole Kieran, she is probably the most notable absence from the NCAA singles individual field. To win that match, you know, from a set down, 7-6 in the third over Elisa Zarr, who you're right, outdoors, it's an even tougher battle, but I know the physical challenge of that match, and that's really impressive, even if we didn't get to see it finish out. Again, Brodus 2023 is the best. We should have led every show with it undefeated at the two and three spots in singles. Like, yes, she lost the first set. I saw your tweet, and I was like, God, you're going to regret this because she's going to win the next. I don't need not regret, but it's like she's winning the next two. I've never been more confident about anything, um, and she does it. I, guess I, just, really I just tweeted out that she actually lost a set. My brain's broken. This is, I've, this is the 10,000. Look, it's one of – that's three of the 700,000 words I've spoken over the past week I'd like back. I agree. That was, that was an un- – I don't know why I included that. Um Stud, like just unbelievable season. I can't believe what we saw from Brodus this year. Sophomore surge, that sophomore class is a joke that we have in college tennis. Um, man, I guess, again, credit to Texas. Taya Pashkaleva probably plays her best match of the season, scoreboard-wise. And then credit to Rapalu. Could have abandoned ship. Could have been like, I don't see a path to me playing very consistently here. I want shots at one, at two, at three. She didn't do that. She stays the course. She gets a three-set win over a, a Campana who had played a lot better tennis down the season's home stretch. My last thought on this, for Pepperdine to have not made an NCAA semifinal these past two years after, you know, again, they make the final in 2021. It felt like they found the secret sauce in beating UCLA, beating UNC on their way there. You could argue the past two teams have been the more talented teams. And look, like, again, both matches they lost were played indoors. That yep. can't be underlined enough. There's a chance Pepperdine's team's next year is better than this year's team. Like, look at the recruits they have lined up. They're still rocking and rolling. I am just, I can't believe Pepperdine didn't make the uh, quarterfinals. Jay, final thoughts to you. 
Yeah, I mean, I again just underscore the indoor aspect of this. Just I, that is disappointing, right? If you are Coach Per Nilsson with Pepperdine, I mean, they don't have an indoor courts. You don't play indoors, and for this outdoor championship for you to fall indoors, I, I would, a hundred percent confident they do not fall in the quarterfinal and the round of sixteen these past two years. If both of those matches were outdoors. I was the I was very adamant about Michigan should play the men's and women's matches on Saturday. I'm never taking that position again. I like to have matches on two distinct days to be able to schedule around weather and the Texas men's match able to go outdoors. The women just, you know, that's never going to happen if the women had also waited to go outdoors. I now understand why the double regionals do Friday, Saturday. So I apologize to any coaches I pestered with that question over the past week. Again, the story is Texas. Like, back to another quarterfinal. It's pretty much an entirely new group, you know, new cast of characters. And, you know, Coach Joffe, Justin Butch, who I really enjoyed speaking with, he has this team clicking on all cylinders. And, again, credit to Pepperdine uh, for a heck of a season. But Texas at home, 4-3 winners, the eighth seeds advance. Let's move on to our next region, 4-2 scoreline for Michigan over Virginia. Michigan drops the doubles point, but... Man, I mean, credit to this Michigan team. You know, the way they responded, they take first sets on court one, court two, court five, court, uh, uh, you know, I think it was three first sets apiece. And for them to work their way back and, you know, get a straight set win from Kari Miller at one, to get a straight set win from Jaden Brown, who I believe was down 4-1 in the first at two. I could have told you 17 years ago that Julia Fliegner and Annabelle Shue would have been the deciding match in this one or not finish. But again, for Michigan down low to take five and six against this Virginia team, Jay, it's a really good win, especially outdoors for these Wolverines. Yeah, still no Travinsky for Virginia in this match. You know, we didn't see her at all in NCAAs. But, I mean, this match, you know, came down to Gala Mesotrito, right? She was the one that had to flip her singles match, and she did that in three sets. Uh, You were right, you know, the... the the team split first sets and I thought Virginia came out very strong. They appeared to look strong in doubles and they came out hot in singles as well. But uh, Gala doing what she has really done all season has been such a rock for the Wolverines down in the bottom half of this lineup. And she comes out with the three set win. Uh, Look at this, this Michigan team finds pathways in a lot of their different matches, but one consistent through line has been, you know, Gala's success down at the bottom of the lineup. Serdan as well has been really solid for them. I know she lost in this match against Virginia, but you know, they really have strength throughout this lineup. Brown and Miller don't get credit the way, uh, Yepafanova Ma or a Brantmeyer Crawley or, you know, some of the really good one, two duos we see across the country have gotten, Man, have they been really good for this Michigan team all season long. And I just feel like their ability to go at least one and one at the top two spots in Miller 13 and four, Jaden Brown 13 and six, it, it just allows the depth to shine. Like, again, if Jaden and Carter are getting straight set wins at the top spots in Orlando, Michigan's having a lot of success there, Jay. Like, that's a, that's a really good—I'm just saying, like, that's what good teams do in the round of 16. It was a real—that's that's the most notable thing for me of the past weekend is, like, I know how deep this Michigan team is. But, again, I just don't think Kari and Jaden get the, the top two guns reputation that they should given their individual success and the seasons they've put together. 
it's maybe a stretch to say that they're in that tier of some of those names that you talked about. I don't think that they're as strong as almost every other quarterfinal team here's top two. However, I think you are right. Splitting one and two always feels like something that this Michigan team can do. And given that they've been able to rely on the strength down low, that is what they that's what they need to do, right? So they're not getting blown out of the top positions and they're likely going to split. Uh, and that is a recipe for success for the Michigan team. That's exactly the point I'm trying to make. So I, I agree with you. I'm not saying they have they should be a Brantmeyer Crawley because those two are the best player in college and the highest ranked pro out, you know, other than Shiner, second highest ranked pro uh, in the game right now. But they keep one winning. And it's like at a certain point, you just got to acknowledge what you see because that's the name of the game. Split all the single sets, uh, every twosome, and then win the doubles point. That's how you find yourself a 4-3 win. Any final thoughts on the Virginia season? Or are you ready to move on? A little bit of letdown for the Virginia season. They just were never little, healthy. Little, never healthy. I think if they had had Annabelle Shue in the lineup for the duration of the season, it might have been different. But otherwise, it does feel like a step back from last season where they do make the quarterfinals and they were on the same level with you know a duke or an nc state uh, and and you know this season they were not can i do my stephen a smith first take take of the day <laughs> jay some people are saying the acc is overrated after this super regional <laughs> only two teams get in i'm just saying some people are saying it jay um not me though we know but better uh but with that said we'll move on to our next match and here's the biggest compliment i can give this iowa state team and what has been a year of first First national indoor final site, first national indoor semifinal, first time hosting the first two rounds of NCAAs, first time hosting the Super Regional, now first NCAA team quarterfinal. I have nothing of note from this Iowa State match versus UCLA. Like, I I thought this match was going to be closer after watching UCLA and, you know, how well they played Duke throughout the course of that match. But man, Iowa State gave them the business. Like they dropped two games in the two double sets that they won. Straight set wins at one, two, and five. That's how you find yourself in Orlando. It was, you know, again, a very good performance. On a day when Kadlikova lost, it, a really good performance for Iowa State. That's the highest compliment is that I, they're just capable of playing this sort of match now. This was their first Sweet 16, and it felt perfunctory. Right. And they're playing one of the blue bloods in college tennis and it felt straightforward. They have looked outstanding in doubles against the UCLA team that one of their strengths this season, despite the volatility of singles, has been their doubles point uh, and the, the, the pairs that they can put out there in doubles. Iowa State, no problem. You know, Iowa State loses Kodlikova, the winningest player in a single season in Iowa State history. She goes down, but they have plenty of other pathways. Naklo gets a great win over Fungrantian of UCLA, who was undefeated at number one for UCLA in the regular season. You know, they've got all the pieces and it's just an incredible Cinderella season that they continue to have countless firsts, um, you know, and it doesn't stop there. Now they go to Orlando and... You know, we'll see how much more magic they can keep pulling off. Even at four, Suppa Pete Curum, who struggled at times this year, she goes three with Wagley. Like, it was a good match from top to bottom. They're battling at six, seven, six first set. That match had three hours written all over it, even beforehand, given the playing styles. Yeah, to lose your number one doubles set six love and 
respond in the fashion that they did. I didn't. None of us saw the doubles that weren't there. You imagine those score lines are reflective of a lot of nerves across the board. And again, UCLA hadn't been there in a while. It'll be interesting to see, will they finish the year top 16 after that win over Duke? If they are, they get to host next year's ITA kickoff weekend. And then from there, you're kind of rocking and rolling again. Yeah, uh, again, Iowa State advances. They do so comfortably into their first quarterfinal in program history. The season of first continues for the Cyclones. All right, those are the matches we didn't see. Let's talk about the matches we did. And there were a lot of good ones, regardless of the fact that we only had the one four three scoreline. We had a lot of three-hour, three-plus-hour battles across the country. The one I want to start with is Georgia-Oklahoma. Because there were legitimate 15-minute stretches in each of, in this match where each team could have thought as the coaching staffs, so whether it's Jeff and Drake, you know, Cobra, Jose, Audra, and by the way, shout out to Jose, who we found out is has stepped down uh, as the assistant. He's going to run a country club, has been far too kind to us here at Cracked Rackets. This match was really good. And ultimately, Georgia, you got to give them credit. They take, they take it to an Oklahoma team that has been really good in doubles all year long. For them to get a 6-1 win at the number two spot, 6-3 win at number three, it was the perfect start to the final home match for Georgia women's tennis head coach Jeff Wallace. That said, as expected from this Oklahoma team from the over the course of this past two years, they did not roll over. And, you know, whether it was Lane Sleeth, who was unbelievable, in a straight set victory at the number one spot over Leah Ma. You know, whether it was Donna Guzman, who was 5-1 down in the first set, works her way all the way back to 5-all and forces a breaker there. Corley has her chances at the end of the third set. And, you know, again, Pisareva takes a first. Garcia Ruiz takes a first. This match was exceptional from start to finish. In the end, it's clinched uh, in three sets, I believe, by Meg Kowalski, 6-1 in the third. She w- Oh, no, excuse me. Dasha Vidmanova wins that clinching match, 6-4 uh, uh, to send Georgia to the Elite Eight once again. Again, there were a lot of matches. My brain scrambled. It was a really good introduction of the match till that final part. But Vidmanova, she earns the clinch. Jay, 4-1 in name only. Your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, there was a 15-minute stretch where Guzman had come back from 5-1 down, and I thought she was going to take that first set. Carmen Corley had just split next to her. You know, you had just seen Garcia Ruiz take her first set over Kowalski. Uh, Pisareva was a set in three all, and you thought, okay, Lane Sleeth is going to win. Guzman is trending that way. Pisareva is up and Garcia's up. There's and four. That's all you ser- need. And Corley's serving for the match or whatever it is. Or serving for the second yeah, set. Yeah, that I happened mean. a little bit no, later. Sorry, serving for she, the second set, I meant. Because yeah, she won that 6-1 split. second set pretty quickly. Very quickly. Yeah, I think she split and Garcia and Kowalski had just finished exactly, their Exactly, which is why it was like, yeah. okay, now we got another path. Yes, exactly. And and ultimately, I mean, Georgia started to close the door in a few of those matches, right? You started to see Kowalski, the fifth year, start to run away with her match against the freshman. You know, you start to see uh, Vidmanova flip that first set, ends up taking that first set. That felt like a big blow to the chances of Oklahoma. But overall, I mean, I thought we've started to see the semblance of this Oklahoma team that we saw last season, that fighting spirit. 
And I was impressed that Georgia, you know, fended them off in, in many of those matches. It was a very good college tennis match. And I thought the level was extremely high on pretty much every court. There would be three things I would point to from this match, but and then we can move on. We're going to be efficient the rest of the way, folks, because we do want to spend some time previewing our quarterfinals. The real knockout blow for Georgia was Vidmanova taking that first set. Because if Guzman 100%. takes the first, now Oklahoma, they haven't just taken the momentum, they're running with it. Because now, you know, again, physically, Vidmanova was really struggling at the end of the first. And you just wonder, what does her effort look like in the second if Donna does win that first set? You know, again, if that happens now, Corley gets that momentum boost. It just kind of goes across the board. That, to me, is the inflection point. Vidmanova winning the first set was just a chill. Like, everyone just relax. Second, the real... Okay. Shout out Gigi Grant. Sophomore played a really smart match. Chipping forehands. Getting in. Just making life uncomfortable for Emma Staker. As magical as Staker's 2022 was. And I really like Emma Staker. So this pains me to say, like... It was a little bit of a tougher sophomore year. And that's another match to me where on paper, I would have taken Staker over Gigi every day of the week. And like, again, credit to Gigi Grant. Played a really smart match tactically against Staker. That's inflection point number two. Three, shout out Meg Kowalski. Like, God, it's fun to watch her fight. And that match at five had all the energy you're looking for. Those are my final three things, Jay. Final thoughts to you. I think the fourth inflection point there was when Carmen Corley wasn't able to get her match point. I think had Carmen got off the court, that momentum shifts down to Pisareva, right? Who could have, who was already sort of staging a comeback in that third set, you know, that shifts to Guzman as well. But yeah, the, the double whammy of Guzman not taking that first set and then Carmen not taking her match points. That ultimately was the, was the door close. Um, I would say Staker, I mean, to lose that first set six love after they dropped the doubles point, which one was a surprise. I did not expect Oklahoma to drop the doubles point. That just closes the pathway. And now you're talking, you need to get four of the five remaining singles points in the sweet 16 in Athens against a top four Georgia team. That is an extremely difficult thing to do. Yeah, very well said. I agree. And with that in mind, again, we can move on. Really fun Oklahoma uh, group these past years, and a lot of them are coming back next season. So, again, this core is not going anywhere. Georgia to the Elite Eight. We'll talk about their matchup with Michigan in a little bit. Let's move over to AM Tennessee. Again, I think this was our last really good match of the weekend. God, did Tennessee come close. And if we're talking inflection points, Breaker to decide thing in doubles. You know, Mertena and Adashina go a perfect five for five insert. Oh, nope, that's not true. They get broken four, four, five, but then break right back for a six, four first set after they lost the regular season battle with Goldsmith and Ewing. Kupris, Stoyana, six, four at two. They were three love down in that set before winning six of the last seven. Comes down to a breaker in doubles. Back and forth. Pilet and Morales able to take it seven, six. A&M takes a 1-0 lead, and from there, again, their big dogs come through. Stoyana, 2-1 over Tomase. To beat Elza Tomase and lose a combined six games in two victories, testament to another stellar sophomore we have right now. 
JC Goldsmith might be my favorite player to watch right now. Just because, like, when she puts the foot on the gas pedal, she's like, nope, like, I'm hitting a winner right now. And it's just like, it's just a fun mindset to watch. Uh, she gets a three and four win over Molinaro. Battles. Battles, Jay. Everywhere else. And credit to the transfer, Lauren Anzalota, who Coach Ojeda talked about uh, and talked about the season she's had. Really fun interview uh, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can hear she flips things against Janet Morales. You know, again, it's it's three alls and four alls and a bunch of different third sets on two and three. Uh, unfortunately, in the end, Esther Adashina just dealing with some cramps, really could not hit her forehand at all. Darius Smetanikov, 6-4 in the third. She earns the clinch for uh, one victory for AM. They advance. They're now 63-4, Jay, over the last two years. Back-to-back quarterfinals. Floor is yours. Well, I mean, we talked about their regular season match, which was 6-1 Texas A&M, which was so much closer than that 6-1 scoreline. Third sets on 3-5 and 6 in that match. Yeah, everywhere. And this was identical, right? I mean, I really think this match came down to that doubles tiebreak because if they take that tiebreak, the remaining matches, they were up. And they were battles. Six, just were quickly, Kutzer's up 6-5. Mertena's up 5-3. So literally, they were up. Yeah. And it's 4-1 on the scoreboard, right? But any anything but that, once they lost that doubles point, it just felt like, oof, we might be going the same same direction. And these two teams are very evenly matched. But it's tough if, you know, if Texas A&M is going to get off the court so quickly like they did with Stoyana, with J.C. Goldsmith, then yeah, it's going to be really challenging to get you know get get the win. This Tennessee team is incredibly talented. You talked about at the top, like they're top ten good, right? And they're pushing this Texas A&M team every single time. But the Texas A&M team, incredible team of athletes. You know, feel like all of those third sets they still feel very strong about. So great performance from Tennessee, but you know Texas A&M able to get the win in in a dogfight. Riding the ups and downs of the roller coaster that is the Smetanikov experience, Jay, might be the most fun part of Orlando. Like some of the service whip yips, and then she'll rip off three straight forehand winners. I think it's huge for her and Cooperus to get this opportunity to play those sorts of deep third set matches to deal with those emotions. And now the team wins and they get to move through. Similarly, look, to some extent, Morales did her job. She gets the win. Ewing gets a 7-6 uh, first set. a and took doubles in five first sets in this match. Like, it's a testament to build a big enough lead. Really hard to come back from. Hot damn, Tennessee almost did it. Like, oh, special group. Really fun match. Yeah, AM 4-1. Back-to-back quarterfinals. They advance, and now we'll take on Stanford which is where we might as well go next since it's an easier segue. Stanford 4-1 winners over Ohio State. It was a pretty routine doubles point uh, for this Stanford team. And look, Blake and Blokina, number 16 in the country, they have been really good all season long. Choi and Yepafanova seem to be finding their form. Ma, Shu have been really good all season long. I believe it, it says on the scoreboard Stanford took all three double sets. Now, I won't lie. I didn't watch this one. It wasn't on our stream. So I'm going to defer to you here, Jay. Stanford takes doubles. They get straight set wins from Yepafanova, Blake, Blokina. Uh, excuse me, Blake and Shu at the one, three, and five spots. Your thoughts on this result? 
Well, I, I think it was one of these like simultaneous esque type clinches and doubles, but ultimately Stanford is playing extremely good doubles. And that's not something you say often about Stanford. They typically rely on their strength in singles, but they have three really strong doubles teams, particularly one and three. You know, I thought it was a really great bounce back for Epifanova after she suffered, you know, her first loss since indoors uh, against Oklahoma State. I mean, she comes out and she gets a great win over Sydney Ratliff. Valencia Shue, I think, is playing her best tennis of her Stanford career. I mean, Oklahoma State, you know, Gonzalez down there at five. I mean, extremely talented. And then to beat Shelly Brezniak, who'd only lost one match all dual season long in straight sets with a bagel, no less. That's an incredibly uh, strong performance. And and we've talked about Angelica Blake. I mean, who 6060s anyone in the round of 16 at the three line? It just doesn't happen. And she's 19 and two in duels. Those two losses coming when she was at the number one spot. Extremely strong performance from Stanford. The one note is Connie Ma mm-hmm. is probably playing her worst tennis of her Stanford career. And that is notable. Uh, and that is going to be something to watch for as they move into Orlando and face Texas A&M. But a lot of pieces firing for this Stanford team. They're on a 20-plus match win streak, haven't lost since indoors. So the the confidence and the belief is certainly there. It's a hell of a win for Arena Contos, 1-4 over Connie Ma at Stanford. And I, I'm just saying, I, it's it's a tough place to go get a win like that. But yeah, if you would have told me Stanford's getting doubles three straight sets and Connie Ma's not one of them, I'm like, no, 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 seriously, though. What, like Sarah Choi won 6-4 in the third, and that's how they're moving on? But, you know, again, they didn't need Choi, and they didn't need Ma on this day. It was Yepafanova Blake coming through as they have all season long. And then, again, you're right, absolutely right. When Shu takes that 7-5 first set over Berizniak, that was kind of the clinching moment for this Stanford team. Tough loss for Ohio State. Again, this was a really good group all season long and uh, I think well-deserving of being one of the final 16 teams standing. But yeah, Stanford threw 4-1 overall into another quarterfinal. Haven't been there for a couple of years. I don't think I've seen a Stanford quarterfinalist in person because, no, 2018, they must have made the quarterfinals no. in Wake. In tw- well, in 2018, they they won. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that they beat one- Vanderbilt in the final. Yeah. But I was going to say, this is their first quarterfinal since winning the event in 2019. Now, it's only been two years because we only have the 2021 and 2022 years. And those were the those were the, you know, Voldemort years for Stanford. We don't talk about those years. Uh, but yeah, so they're back. They're in the back in the quarterfinal. And, um, you know, they have good memories from that Stanford team. But Sarah Troy, the fifth year, only connective tissue between that 2019 championship run and this year's squad. The seasons that shall not be named. Yeah, if you're Lele Farood, you're like, well, we're not going to Virginia for the kickoff weekend. Never again. It's like, that's not (laughs) happening this time around. Um, No, Stanford through to the quarterfinals. Last two here. It is the two people Jay referred to as the clear betting odds on favorites to enter uh, entering Orlando. That, of course, is UNC and NC State. Let's start with Carolina team. You said, Jay, you were, I don't want to say concerned about going into uh, the round of 16 match, but you thought Florida was going to make things tough, and credit to Florida. They come out, they take the doubles point against this reimagined North Carolina doubles lineup. It's clinched 7-6 at the number one spot by a team in Dudney and Spey that it felt notable when Roland Thornquist said, no, 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 seriously, I think they can win the NCAA doubles title. They're that good. Um, yeah, they take the doubles point, 
Now, credit to Carolina. They Carolina'd from there. They take all six first sets, straight set wins at one, two, five, and six. Perhaps most notably, they pull Forbes from that number four spot. They go Scotty, Tran, Yarlagata. Obviously, Tran, Yarlagata uh, making that decision from Coach Calbus. Coach Thompson looked very, very good. Most notable is the fact that Florida took doubles, put a little scare in the Tar Heels, but the Tar Heels responded as they do. Jay, your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I mean, you talked about the reimagined doubles. That's certainly one word for it. It's an interesting pairing that they have out there across all three. It's different than what we've seen this season. Didn't work against Florida. We'll see if it works down the home stretch in their potentially final three matches here. But yeah, they looked awesome in singles. Uh, You'll recall I did predict that they would pull Abby Forbes from that number four spot, and they do indeed. And uh, that makes sense uh, given... You know, that I think four is a strong spot for Florida with freshman Rachel Galis. So uh, they looked really strong in singles. You know, this is becoming a very similar path for this North Carolina team is what they had to do last year. They faced Florida in the round of 16. They also faced Texas. Now that match was in the semifinal, not the quarterfinal, but familiar foes for this North Carolina team. I really like the team of Brantmeyer Tran because Brantmeyer just hits bombs and Tran is so quick. And, like, so creative in how she poaches at the net. And they fit really well together. And, like, that team's going to be really good at three. I don't know how I feel about one and two yet. I love the energy that each of those teams bring. I like the the presence of Scotty next to Tan Gillig, the relentlessness of Crawley and Forbes. Again, Dudney and Spay were really good. And so, like, I, I want to uh, – look, Texas took doubles over – uh, over Pepperdine, like they've proven they're really good at two and three. And obviously, you know, again, beating Chen and Brodus is really hard for any team to do at one. Texas comes out and takes the doubles point out. That match gets really, really interesting. And it's just really hard to be down 1-0 in these matches in Orlando and find four singles victories, even when you have the Avengers as your singles lineup. But yeah, 4-1 victory for the Tar Heels. Again, you wonder for this Florida team that's bringing just about Every one of these pieces back next year, they're a team you circle right now as maybe they are going to take a big leap forward, be right back up at the top of the SEC next season. Last match, least notable, and I say that with all due respect. Again, it's the highest compliment I could offer. NC State was playing chess while Auburn was playing checkers. It was just, again, a flexing of the muscles, I suppose, for this NC State Wolfpack team who advance over Auburn with a 4-0 victory now. Again, the doubles was frisky at number one, uh, excuse me, at number three, certainly for a moment, but 6-1 at one, 6-3 at two. Again, you look for this NC State team who ends up taking first sets on five of six courts, straight set wins from Schneider, from Smith, perhaps most notably how well Sophie Abrams is playing, a one-and-one victory from her at five. I mean, Jay, that's what a title contender, dare I say, a front runner looks like in the round of 16 yeah in jay's power rankings they're number one right based (laughs) on these three matches they are the only team that has yet to lose a point and look to win a national championship you need to win doubles and all six single spots and this is a team that feels like they can do that day after day Uh, are there some spots you might like more than others absolutely that's always going to be the case but they're looking very very strong and uh, it's it's a credit and a testament to the work that they've put in there over the years and the building blocks and the foundation that they've built over these past five years it always helps when you have a top 100 wta player sitting at the top of your doubles lineup and it's it's awesome to see diana schneider engaged 
passionate. You know, she got that clinch there and you could tell she was excited. And that's something that I think I hadn't seen throughout the regular season. So it's great to see down the home stretch. You're absolutely right. This team feels like they can take all seven points on any given day. And look, credit to Auburn. There was like a six-minute stretch where it was five all at one, five all at two. Okatoye takes the first set. It's five all at six. But then the best, you know, NC State did what the best teams do. They put their foot on the gas pedal and they pulled away. And again, a six-love second set from Smith over Ansari is not an easy thing to do. Schneider found her rhythm in that second set. Renshelly was on the comeback trail. Rejecki Bennett is the best match that didn't finish. It would have been really fun if it came down to that one because the level was very high. But yeah, NC State, again, advancing uh, four lo- uh, 4-0 winners. Auburn brings back everyone next year. Plus, they add a piece back, right? Insuline Ovunk at that number one yep. spot. Yeah, interesting. I mean, A&M, like, yeah, they lose Ewing and Goldsmith, but it's like, yeah, but everyone else is like a sophomore or a freshman. Georgia, I mean... Head coach Drake Bernstein, I'm sure he's going to bring in a recruit or two this offseason. The SEC might be fully back back next year, and it, it's going to be a really, you know, they might be saying, hey, ACC, we're coming for your crown. So be on the lookout for that. But with all that in mind, that's your look at the round of 16. Here's the breakdown. All Power 5 schools remaining, two ACC, two SEC, two Big 12, one Big 10, one Pac-12, not 10, Pac-12. Um, right? It's Pac-12. It's not the Pac-10 anymore. I'm not crazy. Pac-12. This is just, I've been doing D2 and D3, so I'm like, I don't even know what conference. I'm like, is this an S, is this an SCAC team? Okay, then I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but anyways, with that said, we head to Orlando, Orlando with seven of our top eight, uh, our top seven, se- no, seven of our top eight seeds because Duke was the six and number 11 Iowa State holding serve at home. So again, a host team has yet to fall on the women's side in the Super Regional. I guess any final thoughts on that? Are you ready to turn your head to the quarters? No, I think we look ahead to the quarters. All right, then here's how we're going to break down these previews. Four quarterfinal matches, UNC Texas, Michigan, Georgia, NC State, Iowa State, Stanford, Texas A&M. I asked Jay before, actually, he told me wisely beforehand when I asked, how do you want to break them down? He said, let me tell you who I think most likely to least likely to be upset. So here's what we're going to do. Straight up go from most to least likely. Jay's going to start one match at a time. He's going to name the team. He's going to make the case. I'll ask my follow-ups. Jay, I start with you. Quarterfinal number one. The top seed most likely to be upset is whom? And why? It is number two, Texas A&M, to be upset by number seven, Stanford. Here's why. One, Stanford's doubles point looks extremely strong. Ever since the departure of Carson Brandstein due to injury from the A&M doubles lineup, they have been looking to find their form in doubles. I think that leans Stanford. I also think when you lose your number two singles player and everyone has to move up, that's going to hurt your depth. Whose depth has looked very strong? It's Stanford. Valencia Shu, Sarah Choi have looked excellent for Stanford. I think Stanford will like doubles and five and six. And if they don't get five and six, I think they will also like the matchup of Angelica Blake at three over the freshman Mia Kupris, who has had a fantastic freshman season, but Angelica Blake has yet to lose. 
at that number three singles position. And then ultimately, Connie Ma has played Salma Ewing when she was at USC. She wins that match last year in straight sets. You know, Stoyana is favorited over Yepifanova at the number one spot, but that is certainly no slam dunk. I think the one singles match Texas A&M is like heavily favored in would be JC Goldsmith, the fifth year over freshman Alexis Balkina. For that reason, I actually think Stanford is the most likely non-top four seed to win in the quarterfinal. Choi versus Morales, three hours. Put it on the clock. And just given the mm-hmm. pedigree, I agree. I think you have to lean Sarah Choi in that instance, as good as Morales has been. And for what it's worth, Morales 14-4 and four overall, 10-4 and four at the sixth spot. For what it's worth, Choi 19-3 and three overall, and du- uh, 17-3 and three in dual match play this season. Yeah, you just have to give the advantage to Choi, given the track record. And, you know, again, I think that's a clear-cut point. I agree with you, especially it's lefty versus lefty, but Blokina likes to throw up the loopy lob. She likes to take her time and get a little slice happy. You can't do that against J.C. Goldsmith. Like, if you give J.C. Goldsmith time, start the clock. You have an hour 20 because that's how long it's going to take her to beat you. That's it. Everything else to me is a toss-up. And here's the thing. I know Goldsmith and Ewing just lost. Blake and Blokina are 17-3, and but Goldsmith and Ewing are really good parents. 23 and 7 overall. I think that's a toss up at one. Two spot gets interesting. You do feel like for Cooper Stoyana, who are 11 and 1, they almost have to have it just given how good Stanford's been at that number three double spot. Two to me is the swing. Like, I need to, that's the really fun match. Choi Yepafanova, who haven't been that great. Um, yeah, that's the weakest spot for Stanford. Yeah, I, I think that's the one. Or excuse me, I think that's the one AM has to take. I think three is going to go. I agree. Stanford, from a record perspective, they have the advantage. One's the swing match. Like one doubles is going to be a really good set of tennis between Ewing Goldsmith, Blake Blokina. It's toss ups everywhere. You're right. Like Stoyana has been so good. She has weapons. She's quick. But on the right day, you see Yepa Finova, and you're just like, that's a future pro. Um, you know, same deal. Connie Ma may not be playing well, but she's still Connie freaking Ma. And she's earned that benefit of the doubt, taking on a Selma Ewing, who has been a little, you know, Selma Ewing's been fine this year, 16 and 7 overall. And she's been, she's been better down the home stretch than she was to start the season, absolutely. I, I think she's won her last seven decisions, 7 0 and 3 in her last 10. But I'm just not comfortable picking against Connie Ma. As good as Cooper's has been, you're right. Like Angelica Blake is Angelica Blake. You never pick against her anywhere, uh, anytime. Stanford is good enough at every position and feels good enough with Choi versus Morales that they feel like they can capitalize on that Brandstein absence. That absolutely, like there's a pathway to four for both teams. I think I agree with you. This has to be the number one pick. That said, I'm on the broadcast for this match. I will be abstaining for picks one more time. I suppose, you know, I, I think I can pick the final since we're not calling that. So there you go. I'll be back for that, Jay. But quarterfinal number one, AM Stanford. Give me the pick. Give me the path. I'm going Stanford and I'll go 4 3. I think they take doubles. I think they take doubles 3 5 and 6. If Brandstein played in this match, would you pick AM? Um. 
too many uh variables you know, there. what about is um yeah yeah, uh, yeah okay. who knows that's fine i think i would just because yeah. i'd feel that much better about a&m and doubles at that point because god worth it i mean yeah. we both saw what they did to carolina at the national and did you like yeah. quick tangent do you like how much weaver and i talked about the unc match for a&m because it was i don't know if you've listened <laughs> to that podcast yet it was just like i'm glad he acknowledged what we all felt in the building where it was like oh my god are you seeing the quality of tennis at all six courts because he was like oh no we knew like it was crazy yeah and if we get that in orlando at any of these matches it will be an incredible incredible week no doubt about that all right stanford over AM. j picks an upset to start who's number two on your list this one is really tough. Uh, I think one and four were clear cut for me. Two and three are a little more clear cut. I mean, a little less clear cut. But I have to go Georgia, number four seed versus Michigan, the five seed. Now, the reason why I think that this is a possibility is I think that this Michigan team, look, they exude a vibe uh, that I don't really get from the Georgia team. It feels like more of a unit on this Michigan team than maybe I get from Georgia. And in terms of the matchups, it's tough, right? I mean, line for line, Georgia is an incredibly talented team. Would it surprise me to see Kari Miller beat Leah Ma? Not at all. After the performance Leah Ma turned out in that round of 16 match, it would surprise me to see uh, you know, Jaden Brown beat Vidmanova. Would not surprise me to see Fliegner beat Riasco. I think, you know, at four, I like them. I like Michigan at six. Mesotrito, I'm not sure I've seen her lose this season. Uh, so she's been very strong for them. So, so Don Lapata at four is interesting because it's too like, eh, like I'm not really sure. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. And five, I mean, you go fifth year Kowalski for sure. You have to. She's uh, won like at, at number five. Yeah, yeah, against the freshman. So this one, I think, is going to be a close match. I think it will come down to doubles. I didn't love, and that seems to be the tipping point. So I will. I'm not picking in the upset here. I was impressed with Georgia's doubles. It's been a weak spot for them all season long. You know, Michigan didn't appear to look good in that match against Virginia. But I think that this one has the makings of a potential upset for sure. It's not exactly the same as Lane Sleeth, but there's a lot of grinding Kari Miller does at one that's very similar to what Leah Ma just saw. Jaden Brown's yeah. going to grip and rip, and that's what you got to do against Dasha Vidmanova. And so, again, that match gets a little more interesting. You're absolutely right. Julia Riasco, three hours on the clock, go. Serdan Lapata, I don't really know. Like ah, there are days when you watch, uh, uh, when you watch Serdan, just Andrea Serdan, excuse me, them blank again. It's been a long day of names. When you watch Serdan hit the ball, and you're just like, oh my god, like what are you doing it in the bottom half of anyone's lineup? Um, but Lapata's really talented, and this match is outdoors, yeah. and it's gonna be a fun one to watch. I agree. Lily Jones will grind, but Meg Kowalski's Meg Kowalski. At the same time. The match doesn't start for Michigan until Gal is down a set and a break, as I've said all season long. And then she has you right where she wants you, and she's going to beat you in three. Swing feels like doubles. And here's the thing. Georgia just beat Oklahoma, which might have been the best doubles point all season long. Michigan just lost a doubles point to Virginia. And yet, to your point, 
I can't look you in the eye with a straight face and say Georgia's a clear-cut favorite in doubles because Michigan's been good at doubles this year, and Georgia's been good, not great, despite what we just saw against Oklahoma. So I agree. Like, 4-3 feels like the magic number in this match and in just about all of our quarterfinals. Jay, give me the pick and give me the path one more time, even though you may have already. Georgia 4-2. I think Georgia will take doubles, Vidmanova, Kowalski, and Lopata at four. Sure, that's the thing, because the flip side is like, have you seen Liam strike a tennis ball? Have you seen the Vidmanova serve? Like, Meg Kowalski is... You're going to take Lopata, not Kowalski at five? Well, uh but didn't I take Kowalski? I think you said Vibnova Kowalski. Oh, you, I thought I heard Ma in my head. Sorry. Okay. Yes, you're right. Oh I no, I d- yeah. definitely did not say Ma. Okay, two, four, and five. I don't know. Again, my my brain is mush, as as I've yeah. well established. I think four three is the number. I got no idea which way I'm going to go. In all these matches, I'm just going to go whoever wins doubles because three is a lot easier yeah. to count two than four in singles victories. So that feels like the pathway. All right then, Texas UNC, NC State, Iowa State. Who's three? Who's four? Well, to me, it's clear. Three is UNC versus Texas. And I think on paper, this is a runaway match for North Carolina. But here's where things get really interesting. This Texas team, your two-time defending national champion, a a North Carolina team who is yet to get over the hump. We had seen over the years North Carolina have a Stanford problem. This year, we're going to see if North Carolina has a Texas problem. North Carolina had all of the momentum as that match goes indoors last year. They're favored indoors. They couldn't get it done against Texas. It's a different Texas squad. So North Carolina is the, I would say, heavy favorite in this match. It's going to be really tough for Texas to find a pathway. If Texas does find a pathway, it starts with doubles, right? They just took the doubles point against Pepperdine. They're playing against a North Carolina team that has fiddled around with their doubles duos, new pairing. So you feel like maybe Texas can take advantage of that. If they do, then they have to take Pachkleva over Forbes at four. If Forbes plays, they have to take number three, Zainalova over Carson Tangilig of North Carolina. So that is their third point. And then their fourth point, again, I didn't see the match, Nicole Kieran over Lisa Zarr, but it probably has to be Nicole Kieran uh, at number one over Reese Brantmeyer. I don't think Texas is going to be in a good position at five or six. It's obviously tough to bet against the number one player in the country and Fiona Crawley. She played this exact match against Shabbat Dupan at NCAAs last year. She wins that match. So I think it's one, three, and four. Six will also be interesting because, again, Rapalu, Tran, part of that same recruiting class. There's, you know, I, I'm pretty sure in, in the 2021 National Indoors, it was Crawley versus Rapalu at six. I'm like racking my brains where she came back from. No, she was playing, um, oh my God, a senior at the time who played six. It grinded. I'm blanking on the yeah. name. I, it wasn't Perez uh, Burr, it, but no, it was uh, uh, Lebrana. Lebrana, exactly. Thank you. I, we were close. Um, yeah. This, like, this UNC team, I mean, again, like, on the right day, they could 
win all seven points. They have that sort of flexibility, or at least six of the seven. I don't know about doubles. I need to see it. And again, for Texas to beat Pepperdine, to get wins at two and three, Pachkaleva and Rivkin are playing really good tennis down the season's home stretch. And then throw, you know, again, on the right day, Shavatapan and Zanilova on the court together. They'll be fine. Three doubles is a really interesting spot because, again, I, I do go advantage Brant Meyer Tran there if that's the pairings that we see. I agree with your arguments about three and four. Brant Meyer is so good. I like. I really enjoy the power tennis of Brant Meyer. I, you're just like that's pro. I just I, when I watch her, I just say that is pro weapons. That's how you finish points. That's a, a product that's going to have success in the pro world. I think I would say the pathway for Texas is actually through six, not through that number one spot at the same time, uh, agreeing with your premises on three and four, but I would say six more so than one. At the same time, again, folks, it's not hard to make a case for Brantmeyer, for Crawley, for Tangillig, for Forbes, for Scotty, for Yarlagata, for Tran. I can make a case for all seven of them if you want in all of their matches what they do well that will make their opponents uncomfortable you're right. Like, here's the thing. It's Texas. Like, yeah, how are exactly. It could be, th- you know, two all overall. And then all of a sudden, Zanilova breaks for 4-2 in the third, and you get a big Howard Joffe, Texas! And just like, <laughs> now it's ro- Now you're rolling. Um, yeah. I think this, I think all these matches are fun. Give me the pick. Give me the path. North Carolina 4-1. I think they take doubles i think they get off the court relatively quickly at five and six um and then i think you probably have crawley with the clinch over shabathapon all right there's your answer folks well then last but certainly not least third seeded nc state 11th seeded iowa state jay thoughts matchups calculus what you got for me yeah, I mean, in some ways, these two teams are very similar, and in other ways, they could not be more different. Uh, you know, and what I mean by that is that these are not traditionally tennis powerhouses, right? It wasn't long ago, NC State was at the bottom of the pack in the ACC. Iowa State, just a few years ago, bottom of the pack in the Big 12. And so for both of these programs to be where they are in the Elite Eight here, just a huge testament to them. I think ultimately, NC State has more firepower here than Iowa State up and down the lineup. Now, Iowa State has almost been as good as NC State in doubles. They really have. So if Iowa State's going to win this match, it, they they get the first punch at doubles. They take doubles. I do think they have a decent shot at both two and four. <laughs> uh, two, I think, with um, Kajuru over Alana Smith. And you know four with Kiram, who is maybe playing better after that UCLA match. Um, but I think Renchelli is potentially a vulnerable spot for NC State. And the question becomes where they find their fourth, fourth point. It, it maybe has to be a split somewhere at five and six. Uh, or it, Kodlachkova plays an incredible match against Rejecki, makes Rejecki uncomfortable, um, takes... It's going to be tough for Kodlachkova to get the ball out of Rejecki's strike zone. But... Yeah, I think this is the least likely to be an upset here. I do think NC State is the large favorite. If Kazuka Dittman finishes, it means things have gone really well for Iowa State, in my opinion. Because yeah. that match has, again, it's your three-hour alert of this match. 
you know, Schneider just plays so quickly. And all due respect to Tassiporn Nakalo, who has been outstanding <laughs> for Iowa State throughout her career. But Schneider, Schneider, like for Obi to beat in Alana Smith, Obi's had an ex- exceptional year. Alana Smith's year might actually have been better. And, like, again, to have to beat Alana Smith in your must-have path, good freaking luck for Iowa State. Cabezas, Abrams, you just pick Abrams based on recent level. Again, Kadlikova, Rejecki feels like another unfinished sort of toss-up match because both are playing pretty well, and that's a fun contrast of styles also. The power versus just the craft, uh, Rejecki versus Kadlikova. <laughs> I mean, the fact that, again, they have to beat... Sorry, I just I just find it funny. It's like you have to beat Smith, you have to win in doubles. That that's like the two two of the most difficult things to ask any team to have to do. Uh, and you have you almost have to do that. I mean, I don't know about the beat Smith because there are other teams with different strengths, and perhaps for Iowa State, why they have to beat Smith is because Obi has been so good. Yeah, again, we just did the speech on NC State could win all seven points, so we don't even have to make the case there. Jay, give me give me your pick, give me your path. I go NC State 4-1. I think NC State takes doubles. Schneider at one. Uh, I think Schneider at one. Smith at two. Rejecki at three. (laughs) Uh, uh, You know, I feel like, you know, those are going to be a path forward. And those are also going to be quicker matches is why I'm also choosing them. Because to your point, I think some of those matches at five and six could be long battles less so abrams at five but uh, ultimately i do think nc state gets through here yeah so folks again john j parsons semifinals he's got a stanford nc state semifinal blue blood versus new blood that would be fun unc georgia the bluest of the blue bloods a national indoor final rematch that semifinal would be more than anything, though, we didn't pick any four O's, and I agree with you. I think it's going to be really close across the board, Jay. I think it's going to be a really fun round in Orlando. Any final thoughts before we wrap tonight's show? Do you want another? Well, the only final thought: on cameras. <laughs> no, we, we definitely covered that, uh, and I have I have many rants about cameras and all sorts of stuff. Uh, but no, my final thought is that if you are in Orlando, uh, come up, say hello. Always a good time chatting with people. Gruskin will be the guy that is taller than you think he is, and I will be the one that is more handsome than you thought. So uh, say hello to us. We'll be uh, around the grounds. I don't know, man. I've been slouching over a camera broadcasting for like the past week <laughs> and a half. I think I – no, I'm still – yeah, slightly taller than you. Say, do you – you'll be like, you're skinny. I'm going to be like, I know. Um, anyways, yeah, all of that said – Shout out as always. Yeah, bring cookies. I'll need food. So anything you guys have, I'm 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 gonna be constantly churning through them. No, seriously, on behalf of all of us here at Crack Rackets, a massive thank you to all of you in the college tennis world who have made this season so fun. It's the last week. We're ready to celebrate. And to Jay's points, parents, friends, players, coaches, don't be a stranger, especially if you're a senior or in your last year on the job. And for some reason, we helped make your college tennis experience at all different or impacted it, come let us know. That's exactly the sorts of stories we'd like to hear for better or for worse. I'm always down for some good teasing. Um, Yeah, it's going to be a fun week in Orlando. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward, of course, to that first hug we're going to share as well. It's an annual in-person tradition for Jay and I. And 
yeah, we'll have plenty of content for you throughout the way as well. Broadcasting, podcasting, through it all. We are going to celebrate all of this May Madness. Of course, a shout-out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout-out to the support we get from our friends at Turna, uh, of course, at LS as well. With all that in mind, Jay, final words of the show belong to you, my friend. No, I think you're right. It's going to be a tennis celebration there in Orlando. It's been an incredible season, and I only expect it to be fireworks down the home stretch, and I look forward to it. With all that said, then, for the fantastic John J. Parsons, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at LS and Turner, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. And we will see you all down in Orlando. Thanks, everyone.